Trump aan Zelensky of die Joe Biden en diens zoon kon laten onderzoeken. En ook William Barr, de Amerikaanse minister van Justitie, zou daaraan moeten meewerken. De democraten hebben vannacht al een afzettingsprocedure tegen Trump aangekondigd en zullen dit verslag zien als bevestiging voor hun actie. Egyptische autoriteiten hebben ruim 1100 demonstranten opgepakt die vorig weekend in verschillende Egyptische steden protesteren tegen het regime van president al-Sisi. Dat zeggen mensenrechtenorganisaties. Onder hen zou ook een Nederlander zijn die met een drone over de demonstraties gevlogen zou hebben. De demonstranten verwijten al-Sisi onder meer dat hij corrupt is. In Egypte gelden strenge demonstratiewetten, maar die zijn door de betogers vorig weekend massaal genegeerd. En de NS krijgt de 48 zogenoemde buffeltreinen die aan Roemenië waren verkocht weer terug in eigendom. Dat heeft de rechter in kort geding bepaald. Verotrans uit Roemenië kocht die verouderde treinstellen in 2014 en 2017. Uiterlijk april vorig jaar zouden ze worden opgehaald uit Nijmegen, maar dat is nog steeds niet gebeurd. Volgens Verotrans leverde de NS niet de juiste papieren, maar dat ontkent het spoorbedrijf. De treinen moeten nu weg van het rangeerterrein omdat ProRail dat begin oktober gaat verbouwen. Het weer ook vanavond op veel plaatsen regen, later wordt het vanuit het westen tijdelijk droger. Komende nacht koelt het met zo'n 14 graden nauwelijks af. Ook morgen is het regenachtig en wordt het net als vanmiddag 17 tot 18 graden. Tot zover het radionieuws.
welcome back to another episode of Student Radio Mastate. Today in the studio, we're going to have me, Luna Sachet, who has been presenting in the past and will be doing tech today, Abraham, a student from the Mastery Science Programme and team member of the IGEM MSB, and Juliet from Bose, student at the Conservatorium. Sitting on the couch, there are Justine and Elle, who are also part of the IGEM MSB. Thank you guys so much for coming here tonight. And today we will be discussing a bit about synthetic biology, the iGEM competition and biomusic, which explains a bit of the track that we just heard that's called Brainwave Music by David Roseboom. Thank you, Juliet, for suggesting it. We'll be back discussing a bit more about it in a moment. So let's start with iGEM and with that, turn to Abraham here. Uh-huh. Uh, once again, thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. Uh, yeah. nice, to, nice to have a platform to put our ideas on. So nice. thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as an MSB student myself, I've been hearing about the iGEM competition for a while now, but not everyone here might know exactly what it is. Would you mind explaining what it is all about? So the iGEM competition is basically a synthetic biology competition that began in 2004, I believe, in Boston at MIT. And since then, it's just been exponentially growing uh, in countries and universities and it's been spreading all over. Now I think there's over a thousand teams that participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's three categories, high school, undergraduate, and overgraduate teams. And it it's really just a hub of new ideas and new solutions to a bunch of different issues. Yeah. Nice. And is this the first time that MSB is joining the competition? Yeah, actually, this is the first time that Limburg has seen any team, uh, mm-hmm. you know, join the iGEM competition so that's really nice because there's teams in Eindhoven, Amsterdam mm-hmm. um, but none here so uh, it's really nice. And how did it come together? How did it start? Well we have our professor Eric Stein Redeker. He's uh, well just he's been for a couple years like three four years been telling people about it trying to get some support from the university as well mm-hmm. and uh, yeah he's done a couple kind of side projects relating to the iGEM and uh, now this year you finally saw the opportunity we made a team we helped them out with aperture mm-hmm. uh, the study association and uh, yeah now uh, now we're here almost uh, almost close to October when we have to present uh, everything mm-hmm. and when was it that you started again the project we started February last year yeah, it's been a long time or this year sorry <laughs> yeah okay and uh, yeah what are the expectations to go to Boston? How are you preparing for it? Well, we're doing a, a bunch of kind of uh, what they call human practices and outreach. Mm-hmm. So that's basically um, talking to people uh, about our ideas and seeing what they think, how it could affect the world, and uh, also talking to researchers so that we can improve our our scientific basis for our project. And uh and yeah, and so now we're also deciding who's going to present in Boston. Mm-hmm. We have a workshop coming up, seeing who fits the best. Uh, between Justina and Elle, they're also wanting to present yeah. and we kind of like a, have a competition going on. <laughs> yeah, so that's nice. <laughs> we'll find out. Is that going to be a public thing? Um, well, no? probably because we're also going to have an open rehearsal for okay. the presentations mm-hmm. at MSP. I believe the 8th of October. I okay. think, I think, but don't don't uh, quote me. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. It'd be nice to have some people there as well. Yeah, yeah, you're all invited. <laughs> <laughs> so while I was scrolling through the iGEM webpage, um, you cannot but not notice their emphasis on creating an open information sharing scientific mm-hmm. community. 
what do you think about that or what kind of impacts do you think a more open scientific community would have on the general public? Well, yeah, I think well we're already seeing what kind of impact it's it's mm -hmm. having as, you know, these recent climate marches on mm -hmm. 20th of September, you know, this is all because, you know, science is being shared openly and people are actually being able to view it. Mm -hmm. Um and that's exactly what iGem really does. So they kind of emphasize trying to collaborate with other teams and kind of you know, sharing what you're discovering with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's that's a really nice part of the iGEM competition, that it's trying to share things openly mm -hmm. uh, with other scientists. And that's what we're trying to emphasize in our project as well. Mm -hmm. um, Which is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And really how, nice. how does this collaboration work? What, well, right now, yeah, right now we have a collaboration with uh, a team in Wageningen. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just test out some of their genetic circuits that they pass to us and we pass them some genetic circuits that they pass to uh, that we pass to them mm -hmm. but that's more technical but we're also doing uh we did an SDG video which is about the sustainable development goals set by the UN and this was we made a little kind of uh, pictionary style video where I did a voiceover uh, and it's on YouTube you guys can check it out and that was part of a collaboration with Taiwan Oh, wow. Yeah, with the Taiwan okay. team. Yeah, and it was really, really nice. It's uh, everybody really liked it, and mm -hmm. we had fun making it. Yeah, <laughs> you already gave some example examples, but um, what can students and teachers do in the educational environment, maybe outside <coughs> of the item competition per se, to promote a more open scientific community? Um, well, one of the things that they could do is have more of these kind of bio weeks that that's coming up now, mm -hmm. um, which is just kind of sharing you know, just opening the doors to the public and saying, come here, explore, uh, see what we have to say about science. And uh, yeah, we're also going to be participating in the bio week uh, mm -hmm. next, I think it's next week. And uh, it should be really nice and engaging with, uh, with you know, people that, that aren't so fluent in science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's delve a bit more into your own project. Okay. Could you explain a bit more how it, what, what does it consist of? <clears throat> so our project consists of um, making this tool we want to call the ROCKET. Mm -hmm. So it stands for Receptor Open Community Kit. And it's uh, a kit that a scientist can buy and then uh, create uh, a receptor um, mm -hmm. that's very specific to the molecule of their choice. Mm -hmm. And this works by... Um, using mutations, kind of like evolution. Mm -hmm. So we kind of evolve a receptor that's basic into mm -hmm. a specific receptor towards whatever they want. Mm -hmm. um, and they can be applied in many fields from biomedical sciences to environmental science. Um, yeah. Okay. So you are basically affecting evolution, accelerating and telling it when to stop. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So okay. we have some mechanisms that have like, mm -hmm. okay, when it achieves the right receptor, mm -hmm. mutations stop. Yeah. Okay. And how does it feel to have that control, even if limited, like with the, in terms of ev evolution, it's a big word. <laughs> Do you feel any sort of responsibility? Yeah, it is, it is really, uh, when you think about it, like, oh yeah, we're going to be doing evolution and stuff, but things never work out as they're planned. It's a lot harder than, than we kind of set it out to be, but, uh. Um, you know, it's just really putting in the time to do research and being responsible and thinking about what we're doing actually as we're doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. And, um, yeah, how do you think then this humans 
being able to change nature affects the way that humans understand nature and what's what's the the role of the iGEM project within that? Um, well, I think it can help us better understand nature by, um, well, for an example, environmental science, we can maybe create a receptor that can identify certain molecules we wouldn't be able to identify with the basic receptors that we have at our uh, mm -hmm. disposal now mm -hmm. um, because we can make them more specific or, or, yeah, and they can detect maybe smaller amounts of this and we can understand nature and what's going on in it better, mm -hmm. which is nice. Nice. <laughs> Uh, also, before you were mentioning you were mentioning about public engagement and how there's also a part an aspect of the competition, yeah. could you delve a bit more into that? Um, yeah, so at iGym, they really believe that public engagement and you know having people be part of the scientific community is important. And so we reach out and we have you know for example like this we talk about the science we do here on the radio. Um, we go uh, to other scientific researchers, we have them tell us things, and then we bring it back and we tell the public. Um, last week, we or two weeks ago, I think it was the Pleasure Art and Science Festival. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, there we hold, held a workshop. So then we actually had people do science themselves, mm -hmm. and they uh, extracted some tomato DNA or something. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was very cool, yeah. Lit. Cool. Yeah. And right. that was both in English and Dutch, yeah. Oh, that's that's actually very important yeah, considering the context where we're in. Exactly. Yeah, you'll get more people. <laughs> uh, okay, so well, let's just have a tiny little break now and this conversation has been quite interesting. Yeah. And we're going to jump into some more nice tracks that we're going to talk about a bit later as well. Can't wait. So, yeah, this is... <laughs> What's up? This is Sachet from behind the be, behind the console, and this is Cantus Arcticus by Rotavara.
was Eino Juhani Rautavara. I don't know exactly how to pronounce this name. He's a Finnish artist. Cantus Articus is the name of the song. Thank you, Juliette, once again for this wonderful suggestion. And now let's go back to our discussion here with Abraham. So, I mean, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> Me too, Luna. <laughs> We were talking before about evolution, humans controlling some aspects of evolution, responsibilities, and we left on how this affects the way humans communicate with the rest of the world or other forms of life communicate. And now I was listening to the song and that we just played and I couldn't help but think about the ways we choose to communicate with the world or the ways we choose to understand it. Mm -hmm. And for me, at least within science, from the experience I've been having as a student at MSP, It always seems to me that we choose to see the world or explore it from a very narrow perspective sometimes. As if by picking a topic and then choosing to explore it only through one sense would be enough to know it. You know, as if mm. by deciding to learn about a tree and only listening to it, we will know everything that happens within it. And it seems to be quite difficult to try and explore things from many different perspectives. You know, yeah. if you get it. So I was reading at some point about <laughs> an ultra ultrasound that is sensitive enough to hear individual bacteria. And I remember thinking like, how much can we learn about bacteria if you could just listen to them? How many other interesting mechanisms do they have that can only be explored through sound that we don't do yet explore it because we haven't had uh, yeah, the yeah. equipment to do so? That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess like what I'm trying to ask here is, how do you think scientists can learn to how to better communicate with nature or how can we keep open to the world and its different forms of expression well uh like you say i mean mm -hmm. you know scientists back in the day they would have like you know one central focus they would just do focusing on chemistry biology this now nowadays especially at msp since it's a mm -hmm. liberal arts and science program you can really choose you know a bunch of different areas for example i chose everything from biology to mm -hmm. quantum mechanics and particle physics you know to study and this allows me to get that greater perspective and possibly a greater understanding of the universe and the science that i'm trying to do mm -hmm. um and so nowadays i feel like there's a lot more possibility to do multidisciplinary kind of uh studies mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think that's just gonna progress science a lot more Because yeah. uh, it's just more available nowadays. So I noticed also that in the IGEM group, there are people that are more interested in molecular biology, people interested in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. How how does it work? What kind of different insights do you think you have because of that that maybe you wouldn't have if you were more of a, a the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the team really mm -hmm. gets enriched by having people from different backgrounds. For example, this year, since it was our first time, Mm -hmm. uh, we mainly have biologists, but mm -hmm. for next year we plan on integrating people from uh, the data science and knowledge engineering faculty, from uh, the business faculty even, because we have uh, we have to kind of do a lot of fundraising and talk to a lot of sponsors, people, you know, in high positions in different companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's why it's it would be really nice to have people of different backgrounds and perspectives mm -hmm. because we can appeal to a broader audience as well mm -hmm. as gain a better understanding of the science. And would you expand this to people outside of MSP, other faculties or even outside of university maybe? Oh or? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I think we have we have our, a mentor mm -hmm. that they're, uh, or we have to go to conferences to meet other people in different mm -hmm. cities in the Netherlands as well as in Belgium or Germany. Mm -hmm. And this actually allows us to get in contact with uh, 
different researchers that are dealing in the same kinds of areas, but like you say, have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's really nice with these conferences because we do get to initiate a conversation with them and see how we can benefit from this different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think also um, maybe even visual artists and so on, so you can communicate these ideas to the public, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like, uh, for example, Luna, like the, the SDG video we made, you know, we did kind of like a art drawing, you know, to kind of explain the whole concept of our project through um, through this art, as well as uh, frame it in the way how we can help with the sustainable sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. And how do you come up with the script that ensures that the general public or whoever comes across the video will understand whatever is it that you want to communicate? Right. Well, that's an issue we had to, you know, talk about and see just between ourselves, really. I mean, it would have been nice if we had more people to to kind of pass it on to the script, but uh, we passed it on to us and then some of our parents or something mm-hmm. and then see if they understood and and then we would uh, we would just use it, their comments on, on what parts they did or didn't understand. And yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we reuse them <laughs> to help us kind of uh, express ourselves better. Nice. And also, what do you think, what, from this, what have you learned throughout this, this whole experience? Uh, what have I not learned? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Um, well, I think one of the biggest things is to have this interdisciplinarity, to have kind of this greater perspective on a topic that would really make things a lot more beneficial, especially in the aspect because we had to do so much work um, with fundraising and kind of trying to frame our idea in a way that um, that's specific to one area because in the iGym competition they want us to have, you know, okay, save the world in this one area. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing is trying to make a tool that can help a lot of areas at, a lot, at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so this, uh, this would be really useful, but it's not like, oh, save the world, save the world. So that's what one issue that we're trying to to do, and we actually ask researchers, okay, how can we frame it in this way to like we will save the world? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's one thing that we really do need more perspective. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, thanks, Luna. Thank <laughs> you, thank you so much, Abraham. Um, and you, yeah, you were saying about like this this idea of saving the world or having seeing the bigger picture and how to mm-hmm. to put that out there. Would you say that part of it is also creating a better understanding, not only within scientists, but also within anyone really in the world about mm-hmm. the, the relationships within nature and how, how, how things are connected within a system and the effects that each tiny little particle or a tiny yeah. little human has to do within it? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the nice mm-hmm. things about the IGM. Again, it's, it really helps, it, like, it really wants us to get mm-hmm. involved with... Uh, with the public and kind of get them engaged in our project, in our idea and have them support us. So mm-hmm. uh, even for that, we have a crowdfunding campaign that mm-hmm. allows, you know, anybody to, you know, support us and give us a donation. Mm-hmm. And in return, we provide them with a newsletter, um, with some t-shirt or something. And uh, and we just keep them updated about our progress. And if they want to get more involved, they're always welcome to contact us and, and uh, yeah. And so that's just one way that we get involved because of the iGym competition with, mm-hmm. the, with the public. Yeah, really <laughs> cool. So earlier, we were before even the, the show had started, we were talking a bit about 
Idem and also Juliet who brought some of the tracks and we were talking about biomusic because all of the tracks today apart from one I think are biomusic and yeah and I think it has a bit to do with this communication and then the connection almost transition between between science and, 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 and humans and the different creatures and so on yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to ask you Juliet could you explain a bit more what biomusic is and how this relates to what we're doing and what we're talking about today? I'm really curious, Juliet. Yeah. Yes, of course. So was I when I first heard the term a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, so basically, by definition, uh, biomusic is mm-hmm. any sounds created or performed by non-humans or sounds made by humans in a directly biological way. Mm-hmm. So... What does that mean exactly? If we take the human body as an example, mm-hmm. biomusic wouldn't be considered the human voice, but any type of um, like contact made through uh, clapping your hands or, you know, um, using your body in some physical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it can be the brain waves transferred into some audible form of music that we can mm-hmm. hear. Um, or it can be field recordings taken from the biophony, which is the um, the soundscape, um, collective soundscape created by uh, animals mm-hmm. in, uh, in an ecosystem. Or it can be, um, let's see, what else? It was so wide. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for example, um, extracting the, the waves of the um, biological functions within... Um, plants mm-hmm. or um, within our, our own organism like our, our heart or our our yeah. different organs so it's it's very wide of what it can be yeah. and uh, different artists have played with this idea and taken it to to different places I, I have a question yeah, well, yeah. Does, does whale music count as uh, mm-hmm. as bio music yeah and whale whale music is like one of the most obvious ones okay. uh, yeah. because yeah <laughs> it's just uh, sound created by an, an animal yeah yeah mm-hmm. Or yeah, it's mm-hmm. nice. I like yeah, mammal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember because I was looking up the iGem before we started, and I know that there was a group at some point that was participating, and they were making music out of bacteria. So they would grow the bacteria in petri dishes, and then depending on where they were located within that, they would come up with uh, music, and also different types of uh, the, the the bacteria from different places within the body would have different instruments assigned to it. That's so really cool. Yeah. yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, I was also reading about a, a project done with bacteria, um, where a um, contemporary composer was uh, basically assigning, um, how can I say, like different roles to each um, bacteria, so different um, sound, like a sound bank of different uh, sounds, and then based on the um, the response of the bacteria to the musical stimulus that mm-hmm. it was being uh, that it was receiving from the the composer playing the piano, it would create music in response. Wow. So it was a type of uh, okay. live improvisation yeah. between the composer and the bacteria. Okay. And then they would yeah. record the the response, of course. Um, well, it wasn't even recorded. It was actually live. live. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And that crazy. was performed to an audience on stage. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really crazy. Yeah. The first track that you were playing before, the called Brainwaves, mm-hmm. 
was that also a live thing that was then recorded or does it work in a different mechanism yeah that specific one was um was just recorded okay. it wasn't performed live mm -hmm. and there is a, a little bit of that gap between some of the earlier forms of bio music where uh, yeah artists started to experiment with this idea but they had no means of really making it accessible to a live audience mm -hmm. and it was more uh, just conceptualizing about it within the studio recording it and then presenting that but I feel like out of context it's hard to understand it yeah. and this is why this example of the live one is so amazing because you can really see, see the bacteria there mm -hmm. responding to the the sound and then that just opens a huge world for us to see that yeah it, like um to understand how um or organic matter responds mm -hmm. to the world around it mm -hmm in a way that's not uh, comprehensible or by our human senses. Mm -hmm. So it basically, yeah, translates sort of abstract concepts into sound. Yeah. And then we can understand it as humans. So yeah. I'd like to jump in a little bit here from behind the console. Thanks, Juliet. That was really interesting. And my question is actually directed at Abraham. And I wanted to ask him what he thought of biomusic as a form, as a communication tool for essentially biological uh, concepts. Because um, I have seen mm -hmm. some of uh, some of these uh, some videos um, that are as Juliet had described, you know, um, they they took some sort of biological process, mostly most often from a plant, mm -hmm. and they um, use some of the input to drive a synthesizer or some other sound source. So in a sense, they, it's kind of like they graft a process in sound. As opposed okay. to a traditional visual graph, it was more like a sound graph. Right. So right. I'd like I'd like to ask Abraham what he thinks about this idea as a form of you know communication for biology and for science in general. Well, I think it's really really interesting. Uh, thank you for the question, Sajid. Um, but I think it's like uh, we were talking about before. It's a uh, it's a way to gain a new perspective on something that you say first. We can get some visual data about it. <clears throat> and then it would be really nice to get this sound data because then we don't we don't know what kind of perspective like what kind of ideas this new perspective will bring us to us and uh yeah it would maybe allow even for like public that uh, is not so engaged in science they can be okay this bacteria makes this kind of music you know and we can identify the bacteria by what kind of music uh musical sounds they produce so that yeah. that's that's very interesting yeah yeah, thanks. That's a good answer, Ibrahim. I was also thinking about citizen science in particular, because this this form of uh, investigation makes available what is considered, is, I mean, it's data, essentially, mm -hmm. Yeah. but in an extremely intuitive, digestible form. Yeah. And, um, you know, we are pattern matching beings. And I, I wonder if, if, if when you listen to something, you could discern patterns that you might not see in a row of data or even in, in a chart. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm referring to. So oh, okay. basically, like, yeah, so maybe like you say, like uh, the public can help them understand better the science behind it. But right. it also provides the scientists that do already have some concept of the idea that they want. Yeah. Gets them this new perspective that helps them possibly find a new pattern mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't available to them before because they lack the perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that's that's really really nice. I I actually really like that idea. I wrote a couple of papers about perspective. Mm. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Nice. And uh, are you are you guys trying to make use of citizen science in any way within the project that you're conducting now? Uh, the sorry, rocket with the iGem project. Ah, uh, yeah. Project? 
Well, uh, if we're trying to make use of citizen science. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well I'm not sure if I understand the definition of citizen science so well. I think it's more in terms of having people, okay. whoever it is, uh, participating in the process of making science. So not just as observers or, or receiving it, but also being part of collecting data right, and analyzing right. it. Right. So actually, we had uh, we did release a survey to um, MSP students um, just to get a, an idea of what they think about the project. Um, yeah, what they think about GMOs, what they if they know anything about synthetic biology. So we try to include them and kind of um, engage them in that way through a survey, uh, asking them about what they know in science, and this can then help us, you know, tailor then our presentations, our workshops to. Um, kind of bring about these learning processes to the people yeah, yeah. okay cool uh, yeah. would you consider maybe making use of some bio music <laughs> to explain the antibodies um or yeah it could be really really cool yeah, yeah i mean no idea comes exactly to mind now but uh <laughs> give me a minute maybe i'll come up with something <laughs> <laughs> really maybe cool. you should pop down to the conservatory yeah. sometime with a bunch of data or you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can See what they can come up with. An open experimental setup and ask a bunch of musicians like, I don't know, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> You're sharing some connections here. Yeah, I'm down. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So we're talking about biomusic uh, this time. Let's listen to some more. Yeah. Uh, next up is, what is it, Sachet? Well, this is actually the one that isn't exactly biomusic, oh, but I think it's yeah. really in interesting. It's mm -hmm. Ocean Memories by Terhe Isungset, and I'd like Juliet to say a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so this musician is from Norway, and he creates music with ice. So he constructs instruments out of ice. Wow.
you know, I really want to keep playing this track forever. But in the break, we've had a rather lively studio and I heard this rather interesting term being thrown about, Tinder apocalypse, um, from yours truly, Abraham. So I'd really like Abraham to tell us a little bit more about what he means by Tinder apocalypse, because I don't know, it doesn't sound extremely, it doesn't sound very related to biology for me, so I'm wondering where you heard that. Well, I was reading, I was just passing through these articles on actually this page called Futurism, and they said that now Tinder's pulling out this new strategy to match people by uh, asking them questions about what they would do in the apocalypse. That's and they said, yeah, it's it's funny because then they said um, they feel like this will appeal to young people because, um, you know, the climate change and how we're we're kind of living through this going to be a co- apocalypse kind of scenario. <laughs> and so through this way, they um, uh, they said, yeah, that they think it's going to be a nice strategy to match people together. All right, that's 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 really hilarious. I'm having a really hard time controlling my laughter yeah. because my first response was, you know, what what would I do uh, during an apocalypse? Probably not swiping on Tinder, but who knows, you know, because it's, we are the nihilist generation. We don't care about anything, so I guess we would be on Tinder. It's pretty ironic, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's funny. But I'm going to hand it back to Luna now and uh, we'll have a little less of Tinder apocalypse now. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I have to say, it kind Angie. of makes sense. You want to gather a lot of people to fight against the zombies. Oh, well, that's so, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> Zombies. I think I'll be one of those. It's it's quite a comfortable <laughs> <The last> apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Got your Netflix, yeah. I'm hopeful. <laughs> um yeah, okay. Let's go back to biomusic here. where where are we at? Um yeah, okay. So we were we were talking about how it works and so on, but you say that sometimes you lack having the context behind it. So would you like to give more of the context behind the first uh, tracks that we played? The first one was the Brainwaves one, and the next one, which what was it called? Cantus Arcticus? Yes. Cantus. Yeah. So I'll start with the, the Brainwave music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basically, musician David Rosenboom, he uh, had four performers, mm-hmm. and he had electrodes monitoring um, their their brain waves so mm-hmm. he he attached those to their to their bodies to receive information about um yeah what's what's happening in their brains based on factors like uh temperature or skin response um and then the information was analyzed by a, a programming system that mm-hmm. he created and basically it was fed through like a very complicated set of um filters uh and then played back as music which so the the role of the the composer Rosenboom was sort of assigning sounds to the to the waves but then mm-hmm. the the actual composition of the waves was determined by the the randomness of the what was happening in the brains so mm-hmm. basically he's playing with the idea of who is the artist and who is the performer and sort of like reversing the roles and taking out that that individual artistic expression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that individualist um, approach of the composer, which, yeah, it can can often be the case that mm-hmm. um, you lose the the interaction with the the outside world and thinking like, oh, you know, I, I created yeah. this this music, and he's like saying, well, well, no, it's it's just random. Yeah. Like, what's my role here? Yeah. That that's how I interpret really it anyway. Cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think John Cage helped me out here. Sacha did something of the sort. Where he was recording like random sounds, and then he created a dice, and then he would just roll the dice, and then depending on what number it is, there's a sign to a, 
bit of a sound he would compose. Yeah, that's a great reference, Luna. John Cage uh, was, I mean, probably who you would consider the pioneer of uh, music of this kind that, mm-hmm. in, in that introduces a chance element in the score, in the construction of the, of the music. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, uh, I think John Cage is kind of like uh, the great postmodernist of music mm-hmm. because um, <clears throat> when you look at his pieces, when you look at these works that involve dice and uh, found sound, the, um, the, 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 the job of the composer becomes more of curation rather mm-hmm. than actually writing the notes in. And that connects in a strange way to brainwave music, I think. What do you think, Juliet? Yeah, I think there's a definite connection there. Um, and also when I heard the brainwave music, it, it really made me think about like, what, what is our role when, when we're composing? Like, are we really doing random elements, whether they're pitches or waves or, um, you know, uh, yeah, plant, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, waves, and uh, just you know, put, arranging them in some some way that that is understandable by by humans and accepted as mm-hmm. as music. So it really makes you, you know, question what what your role is in assembling all these different yeah. sounds. Yeah, it's also yeah. a fascinatingly literal analogy for the composition process because it's your brain waves rendered as sound. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's all, I, I'm, I'm also really interested in the technology behind it because I believe there's an encephalogram that was connected to a rack of synthesizers. Yeah, basically in the fancy terms. <laughs> the fancy terms. Yeah. Which, which I don't remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he called it an encephalophone. Yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> fancy yeah, and he, he was the pioneer really of, uh, of this idea of live <laughs> electronics um, and, uh, you know, whole large movement came after him this this happened in 1975 so oh wow just to, so it was yeah. a while ago mm-hmm. yeah. but i'm also curious about the other one with the birds ah yes i really mm-hmm. like how it sounds could you explain more how they made it was that cantus arcticus yeah i think yeah so. yeah yeah, yeah so th- this one is um more in a uh traditional classical setting so mm-hmm. the way it's performed is an orchestra and then you have the uh, bird recording on tape mm-hmm. so um I don't haven't read a lot about the creative process, but like when I analyze the piece from a um, from an audience perspective, I see it as playing with the idea of what is live and what is nature and what is recorded. Because again, he's reversing the roles here. So we have the live performers, and then uh, with the the instruments, which is pre-composed, and then we have the nature, which is recorded. So if we really try to contemplate that, it kind of messes with our brain, you know. <laughs> it's like taking nature indoors and then, yeah, placing it in an artificial setting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was his intent or whether he thought like, oh, I, w- I will get some, you know, inspiration and, and write a piece around the, the sound of birds. I don't know, Sachi, do you, are you more familiar with the construction of the piece from the composer's perspective? Yeah, um, I remember reading that uh, Rautavara in some manner incorporated the uh, order or the pitches of the bird song uh, bird song in the in the music itself so that some of the deci- some of the decision process was left to nature so to speak but um, if you look at the music it's it's a written out score and there's exactly, and there's a recording yeah. so at the moment of performance it's all pretty dis- pretty well it's all decided yeah it's all predetermined yeah, yeah. yeah exactly mm-hmm. so I, i'm not even sure if you would call it bio music because the composition process was deeply in, uh, deeply related to mu- uh, to to you know the outside world to nature mm-hmm. and there's a definite you know there's like a a, a, a pug mark but the eventual result is not as obviously you know bio music as well brain waves turning into you know sound mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Once you take it outside of the the natural setting, it's um it loses that yeah that sense of of nature because it's it becomes artificial. I mean, it, it turns to just you know waves from a recording device. It's yeah. no longer nature. Juliet, I remember you had mentioned uh, a few uh, site installations that uh, were all that the, that were also you know that also use sound in this manner. Yes. Uh, would you like me to talk a bit about those? Probably. Yeah, nice. Okay, so uh, this one is really interested, um, interesting, created by Julie Freeman. It's called The Lake, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a site-specific performance where she has created a system to track the biological motion of uh, fish through um, tagging, and then she translates the biological data in real time into both moving image and sound. So uh, again, she creates a, a type of sound bank and then she assigns certain sounds to uh, certain uh, activities in mm-hmm. within the fish. So it's a way to translate this organic mo- um, rhythmic movement of fish into a different form mm-hmm. that is more perceptible to um, to an audience because you know it's a lake you can't just go in there and look at the fish like you probably can't see them because it's quite murky so you could swim yeah but i mean you it's it's a new way to to experience you know this movement of the fish and a a form of of connection uh between humans and nature and i think it's it has a more relevance because it's actually um created in the, the natural setting. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like the artist here has thought about every aspect and, and created a, a very um, holistic mm-hmm. um, outcome. So um, we have a small snippet of, mm-hmm. this, of the sonic results. So maybe we can listen to that and, and you know, talk about it a little more. Mm-hmm. And there you have it, The Lake by Julie Freeman. Who would have thought that fish were so groovy? <laughs> Definitely rhythmic. Abraham, what do you think of this? You've heard the description of the project. You know what the setup was like, more or less. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool, actually. Um, it reminds me of these papers I read about how they tried uh, transforming, um, well, helping people that couldn't see um, by by putting something on their tongues that made them electrically stimulated and they would have kind of like a kind of like a bat sonar kind of thing right and i remember reading would, about this too yeah yeah and then they would be able to see in a way uh their their surroundings by listening through this machine and then getting the, the sound the signal transduced into their brain which i thought was really really cool and that's what this bio music really reminds me of like how you can transduce signals into different signals and Again, like we keep saying about perspective. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's true what you say. It's kind of playing with the idea of perception and our senses. Yeah. Translating what we normally um, perceive with one sense into another sense. Yeah. And it just makes the amount of information um, more more accessible. Yeah, richer. Yeah, much yeah. richer. Mm-hmm. So even like other examples of organic processes that we can't comprehend as humans like 
photosynthesis or the movement um, mm -hmm. of like osmosis in, in plants. Yeah. Uh, other artists have, uh, for example, Marcus Mader in 2018, uh, he created a piece uh, based on these uh, biological processes that, that happen in, in trees and sort of translate this to, to sound. Okay. Um, and yeah, made it uh, a direct experience for for the audience so yeah, we can actually cool. hear what it sounds like yeah when the processes yeah, of the trees yeah yeah thanks julia yeah that's cool so yes yeah, opening us to a, a really wider spectrum yeah of, of information of yeah the natural world yeah. yeah yeah and for example with the uh, lake uh the song lake i mean somebody who can't see maybe can understand the way the fish move just because they can now listen to their movements yeah yeah which is really really nice um, well, it was a really nice discussion, but unfortunately it's coming to an end now. It's almost Ooh. at the end of the show. Sucks. But before we do that, we're going to have a bit of a cultural agenda and Sachet, please do the honours. Thanks, Luna. Yes. Mm, I would love to do the honours. So first up on the cultural agenda is Left, Light, M Left Life Maastricht Cafe. Left Life Maastricht Cafe. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so tonight, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Mandrill. There will be a screening of Masters of Money, Karl Marx, which is an introductory documentary about the life and works of Marx, followed by a group discussion about the content of the film. Sounds fantastic. Um, the next thing is Saunders Stand-Up Mini Stand. On Friday, September the 27th, 8 to 10 p.m., Saunders Magazine, a new community lit mag, is teaming up with Food Bank at LBB to host a yummy vegan dinner and distribute their magazine, suggested donation 2.5 euros. Please support this new magazine. I remember seeing this magazine at Kato Kato as well. So if you go there to pick up your lunch, you might find the magazine as well. And that was it. Uh, thank you so much for everything. Now, we'd like uh, to play one goodbye tune, uh, seeing, seeing that we have a few minutes on air remaining. Uh, Juliet, what do you think we should play? Ooh. Always oh, so hard mm -hmm. to decide. Why don't we play the the slime mold one? The slime mold yeah. one. <laughs> the one that we talked about earlier, where the um, slime mold is improvising together with the pianist, um, and oh, the artist okay. is cool. Eduardo R. Miranda. It's called Biocomputer Rhythms. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's listen. So this is Biocomputer yes. Rhythms by Eduardo R. Miranda from 2016. Thank you for listening, and as always, thank you to um, Code Zero for Three and RTV Maastricht for making this possible. We are very happy to have you here. We are ha very happy to have Abraham and Juliet and Luna, obviously. Luna is probably happy to have me around as well. And uh, we'd also like to thank RTV for making this possible. See you all next week. Have a nice week.
Thank mm-hmm. you.